I'm going to use a phrase this morning that I heard all of my life growing up in church. It will be also true for some of you. Some of you will understand it immediately. Others may want a little further explanation. That's fine. Maybe it was heard often. Maybe you never heard it. But before I present that phrase, I want to propose some questions to you. And the first I would ask you is this. By a show of hands, how many of you would say that when you come to this place of worship, you know what it is to sense the touch of God? Is that true for anybody here? Okay, all right. Then my question is, how can the touch that we receive become transformation? It is futile for us to come to service, church service after church service after church service, conference after conference, and are touched, and we often have. Thanks be to God, we have been touched. But then to walk out the doors and go home with no change, no transformation. How can the blessing that we experience in the presence of God become a breakthrough that makes a genuine and real and tangible and viable difference in your life, in your family, in the city in which we live? How can you possess and protect what you feel God has promised to you? You know God's spoken to you. You know he's given you his word and his promise. How do you protect that? How do you possess it? How do you lay hold of it? And how do you protect it? How do you keep it from slipping through your fingers? How can your spiritual aspirations become accomplishments? How can you make real the revelations that you receive from God and, and pass them on to the next generation? How can the glory we experience together become true and genuine growth and real fruit in our lives? I just, I just refuse to believe that you get up on Sunday morning and get dressed out of some sort of just routine or ritual and, and you drive here to Beach Street and, and just to feel good for a few minutes and enjoy the music and hear the preaching and then are satisfied. I refuse to believe this then you're satisfied to go through that experience with us week after week and then walk out without seeing something significant take place in your life for the glory of the name of Jesus. I had lunch uh, this week with a couple of my dear friends in this church, Joe Howard and Larry Adley, dear, dear brothers. And if you're around those guys for very long, as I was uh, at lunch this week, you're going to hear Larry for sure and, and Joe too, but you're going to hear him talk in tones like this. I'm ready for change. I heard that come out of their mouth. I want to see a breakthrough. I'm not satisfied with the status quo. I'm ready for and positioning myself to receive more and more and more of God's glory and grace. By the way, can I just say, it, it will always edify you to hang out with people who speak in tones of faith. You really should try it. You would like it. So the phrase I grew up hearing my father, who was a pastor, you know that. I heard my father say this so often, and it always came in the benediction that he would often give at the close of the service. And the benediction that he would always quote and say is given to us by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. And it goes like this. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Would you say it with me? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you 
I want to spend the next few moments talking about and calling you, Bethesda, to a fresh commitment to the communion of the Holy Spirit. The largest and most influential body of believers in the uh, New Testament era was the Corinthians. And Paul also ends, this is the end of the, um, the first, uh, this is the end of the second, uh, second letter to the Corinthians, but he also ends the first letter to the Corinthians using similar verbiage. He's talking about grace and peace. May the grace and peace of the Lord be with you, which tells us clearly we are to walk in grace, I'm sorry, grace and love. We are to walk in grace and love. We are to be renewed in grace and love. But when he ends this second letter to the Corinthians, though it certainly includes grace and love, there's also this extra thing he adds. There's a prompting, an urgency, an admonition, even a fire, which he includes when he says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, amen. We dare not be dismissive of the phrase, the communion of the Holy Spirit. We cannot. He makes it stand out when he communicates it here at the end of 2 Corinthians. And here's why. It is the communion of the Holy Spirit is a supreme calling for every believer. It is the source of all supernatural service, your communion with the Holy Spirit. And you know what else it is? It is what Satan will most attack in your life. Can we be honest about it? The communion of the Holy Spirit is what Satan will most attack in your life. And how will he do that? He'll do it through temptation. He will do it through sin in your life. He will attack it through pride. He will attack it through bitterness and division and hardness of heart. He will attack it through offenses that you take in and receive, which then become prisons to you. He will attack it sometimes just through, just through our sheer busyness with our phones and our hand, our devices. I have them too. But he, our sheer busyness in life. And little by little, we began to forsake our communion with the Holy Spirit because of these attacks that come on us. And our communion of the Holy Spirit is our supreme calling. It is the source of all supernatural service. It is what Satan will attack most in your life. You must, we must always remember that our future as believers will depend upon how well we cultivate and how well we protect and how well we fight for our personal communion with the Holy Spirit. When the music here has stopped today and the lights go off and the sound system is, is down and, and we go back to our homes, it's what happens tomorrow morning and then the next day, and the next day, between you and God in your communion with the Holy Spirit or not, that will determine how much of an impact your life will have for the glory of the name of Jesus and for the kingdom of God. It is the communion of the Holy Spirit that also does one more thing. I want to add it to the list. It is that which will sustain and strengthen you. How many think I'm telling you the truth today? The communion of the Holy Spirit will sustain and strengthen you. Becky and I are privileged to know many, many people in ministry. We've been around for so long and, and are wonderfully well-networked with friends across the country in ministry, pastors, missionaries, and even some of them are older than we are, believe it or not. It's actually true. We've watched them function 
and stood at a, sometimes at a distance and admired the fire within them and this supernatural ability that they are being sustained and strengthened and nourished and, and the ability to get up and, and go on. That's because of the communion of the Holy Spirit within their life that will sustain and strengthen you. I think of our own brother Don Morrow, his brother's right over here, who Don served here for many, many years on our church board and, and, and uh, as chairman of the, of the school board for a period of time. After his wife, Linda, passed away, he moved, I think it was about a year ago, to be with his son, Don's son, Mark, and his family. Mark pastors a very fine church in Williamsburg, uh, Virginia. Pastor Mark put his dad, Don, on staff as the missions pastor. And so Don has been traveling all over the world this last year. And Don just wrote us recently to let us know, he served here also on our, our missions council, and he wanted the missions council, wanted me, wanted the leadership here to know that he has sensed the call of God to sell everything he has and move to Bulgaria in missions work. Am I, am I saying it right? So, by the way, did I mention he's 81 years old? Don't tell me that God cannot sustain and strengthen you. I also look at our brother Al Reaver, who has served this fellowship. Reavers are, are out of town this weekend, but he has served this fellowship in many capacities, primarily in teaching. He, and, and he travels all over the world. If you've been here at prayer service, many, many times we would, he would call for prayer or we would call him up for prayer because he's headed off for Vietnam or someplace in Africa or, uh, or wherever he was going. He travels all over the world training and equipping young pastors for ministry. And he's 77 years old. I've been guilty of saying, Al, do you know how old you are? You shouldn't be doing this. I just want to warn everybody over the age of 50 today, there is no retirement for you in the kingdom of God. It does not exist. Let your communion of the Holy Spirit be that which sustains and strengthens you. No, what really needs to happen, particularly for those of us who have wanted to kind of lean back on our easy chair, we need to call out to God to say, oh Lord, come and renew me by the communion, the daily communion of the Holy Spirit. It is your supreme calling. It is the source of all supernatural service. It is what Satan will attack most in your life, but it is that which will sustain and strengthen you. Can the church say amen? When Paul speaks of communion, he uses a word that many of us know, it's that word koinonia, which is the fellowship, the partnership. It is often used in the New Testament to refer to uh, the communion that we are called to have uh, between believers. We have koinonia, we have fellowship, we have interaction. It's when we speak with one another. It's when we share the deep things of God with one another and what's really happening within our life. And when we open our hearts and we truly listen to one another. It's koinonia. It's, it's fellowship. It, it's that sense of communion with one another. And I, 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 wanna, I can't help but take this moment to say this. One of the negative things, now that we're several months into COVID, one of the negative effects that I, as a pastor, have observed of COVID on the church is this. It has isolated us. It has kept us apart. We understand why. We understand why. Please don't misunderstand that. Online live streaming has been a help, I suppose. 
Zoom meetings were novel for a while, but they rather quickly kind of got old and lost a bit of their luster, though we still engage in that and, and do that. But there is no substitution for the heart-to-heart, spirit-to-spirit, face-to-face interaction of communion, koinonia, that is designed to take place between believers. When we can look at each other eye-to-eye, face-to-face, heart-to-heart, spirit-to-spirit, I can look in your eyes, I can see what you're saying, I can sense something. We are designed to live as believers that can connect with each other. You know Psalm 133, one of my favorite psalms. How good, how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in union, in unity, in koinonia, in communion. For there God commands his blessing to fall. And Paul says this, that is what we are to have with the Holy Spirit. Koinonia, that sense of communion, that that fellowship. We are to be in communion with the Holy Spirit. And it is not a one-time event at the point of your salvation. Yes, the Holy Spirit was who drew you to Christ. Yes, the Holy Spirit was involved at your point of, of, of salvation. But that was not the end of his function and purpose in your life. Neither was it the end if you were baptized in the Holy Spirit at one time, and and that was 40 years ago. That's, That's not the idea. Thank God for those times. It is to be an ongoing, everyday communion of the Holy Spirit. Let the church say amen. Without a doubt, every one of us needs a fresh Pentecost. Every one of us. Not in a denominational sense, where all the arguments about are, are about external evidence. No, I'm speaking of an internal Pentecost. And you, you probably know the very word Pentecost means 50. I think we have that. 50, pente, 50. That's what it means. It was one of the feasts of the Old Testament. There was a, a sequence in the Old Testament where you had the angel of death going across the country and the blood was applied to the doorposts by the people, foreshadowing what Christ would, would do for us. And whoever is found under the blood will be saved. We've read it. Then 50, Pentecost, 50 days later, we see a type of Pentecost in that the law of God was given through Moses on tablets of stone. Now in the New Testament... In the new covenant, Jesus Christ, the holy lamb of God, is offered for our sins, shedding his blood once and for all. And whoever is found under the blood, hallelujah, will be saved, will have eternal life, and nothing can separate you from his love. Fifty days later, on the day of Pentecost, they were all in one accord. And there came a sound, and cloven tongues of fire set upon each of them. And God said this at that time, now I will no longer write my desires, my plans, my, my purposes, my heart, my convictions uh, on tablets of stone. I'm going to write them on your hearts. They'll be written on the walls of your heart. Pentecost is not a denomination. It is an experience for every one of us day after day after day whereby we say, Lord, come and write your desires, your plans, your warnings, your convictions, your correction, your renewing. Come and write that on the walls of my heart. Somebody say amen today. 
So we have to then ask ourselves. I'm going to ask you the same thing I've been asking myself all week long. Can God still write something new on your heart? Can God still write something new on your heart? Have you become so in the routine, in the rut, so, dare I use the word, jaded in in a sense, that God no longer is able to write something new on your heart? Can God still say to you after all these years, Dan, that attitude's wrong. It's wrong. You can be walking, you can whip off a statement or, or be irritated over something. And, and, and if, if God can't come to you at that moment and say, Dan, that's wrong, then we have lost our ability to have the communion of the Holy Spirit. Be careful. Be careful. Marty, you've got to be careful when that happens. He's writing something on your heart. You need to be more grateful. Ah, you, you know, gratitude is an important thing. It's what opens the door. It's what clears the path for you, your gratitude. You need to be more grateful. Can the Holy Spirit still speak to you after all these years? You've got to let go of that offense. Dan, I know you were offended that. You've got to let it go. You cannot carry that with you. Can the Lord still write something on your heart? Can God still speak to you by the Holy Spirit and give you a sensitive heart to that person that you're in contact with, that you see every day, that you work with, or you come in contact with, that you know you need to speak to them about the life of Jesus and the love of Jesus? Can that still happen? Maybe someone you're supposed to call and encourage. Oh my goodness, if anything, the church needs to fortify anything. It's our encouragement factor with each other. Can the Lord still speak to you, writing that on your heart? Can God speak to you and say, you are to call that one who has hurt you so much and you are to reach out to them with the hand of Jesus. No, not them, anybody, Lord, but them. That hurts. Not to tell them how much they've offended you. Not to tell them how bad they hurt you. Not to rehearse that again. Not to tell them how bad you feel about them and what, you, what you've thought about them, but to bless them and to encourage them and to edify them. Can God still write that on your heart? Can we cry out to God and ask him to bring this country back into the place of communion with the Holy Spirit? Church, we need a fresh Pentecost. There are many passages which depict to us how this communion unfolds and is manifest is alive and, and, and can bear fruit. Here's what I've chosen. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine through 14. <clears throat> you know it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. Doesn't matter how educated you are, how trained you are, how seasoned you are in our professional and ministry, doesn't matter. No one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. 
But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds like foolishness to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Communion of the Holy Spirit, there it is. I would like to propose to you today that only through the communion of the Holy Spirit can we see supernaturally. Only through the communion of the Holy Spirit can we speak supernaturally. Only through the communion of the Holy Spirit can we stand supernaturally even against hell itself. Your eye has not seen, your ear has not heard, your mind cannot fathom what God has prepared for those who love him. We know the verse that says, where there is no vision, the people perish, has been often misused. I would propose a more accurate understanding of it is this. Where there is no vision, revelation of God. In the Hebrew, it's hezon, hezon. Where there is no vision, revelation of God, then the people cast off restraints. That's what that verse is saying. Now, the, the effect is very much the same as what we've understood before. That means they go in many, the people scatter like sheep. They go in many different directions. But church, we are called to be a people with spiritual vision, with spiritual sight. We are to be a people of vision who can see supernaturally. The opening of your eyes to salvation is only the beginning. God is calling us in every season of life to see supernaturally. So what does that mean? Well, it means God can give us the supernatural ability to see past the impossible. Thank God. Or even to see past that which now seems invisible to us. To see supernaturally is to see beyond our fears. Yeah, fears can plague any of us and stand right in front of us. And sometimes they're a, a, a big block, a big thing in the way. It can even seem like a mountain. But when you see supernaturally, you are able to see beyond that, to see over that and see beyond your fears. In that season where, and it happens to all of us, fear is grabbing you by the throat and shaking you around. God gives the supernatural ability to see beyond that fear. To see supernaturally is to see his promises so that you are not defeated in your seasons of pain and, and, and the seasons of pressure. To see supernaturally his love, his light in the darkest seasons of loneliness, through the eyes of faith and through the communion of the Holy Spirit, you see the potential in people. You don't just see their problems. How many of you have that special gift, you can see others' problems? Don't raise your hand. How many of you can see your spouse's problems? No, don't, don't. It is not supernatural to see other people's problems. That is not supernatural. Many of us have that special gift. What is supernatural, though, is to see their future in God. It's to see beyond their fault, hello. It is to see beyond where they are now. In fact, I would say this. A visionary leader is called to see in people what they don't even see in themselves. I was 24 years old in 1978. You can do the math and you'll come up with someone who's really old. 
24 years old in 1978 when Becky and I moved here. I came full of fire, I had my tablet, and I had a lot of enthusiasm and I had a nice smile. That's pretty much all I brought with me. And I came in with all of my uh, spunk to, to um, you know, I was going to help organize and, and help Pastor Des do absolutely any and everything he wanted to have done. And I remember one day I walked into his office with my tablet and I had my list of four or five things. I had a pen in my hand. I just, all I needed, I just needed a couple of minutes. Would you, I'm going to bring up these five issues here that, that we need to tend to. Do you want it this way or that way? Is a yes or a no? Just, just tell me and then, and then watch how fast I'm going to get all this, this done. That was my intention. So I'm, I'm all about my business. I go and sit down in front of his desk. And I said, okay, just need to know how you want this. And I started, and he looked at me, gave me that funny little look like he was completely disinterested in my list. And he said, put your tablet down. And I'm going, <laughs> that's why I'm here. I, I, it, this is why I'm, why, and I, you know, he said, put your tablet down. So I obeyed. I put on the floor. I remember to my right. And he, I looked up at him and he shook that finger in my face that I saw happen thousands of times over the next 33 years. And he called me, what he called me back then, he was really trying to get my attention. He said, Mr. Smith, yes, he said, I will never stand before the Lord and be held accountable for holding your gifting within the four walls of this church. Can I tell you what, I hope I did not say this out loud, but I can tell you what I thought. My thought was, well, okay. You know why? I couldn't see what he saw. He was living in communion, the communion of the Holy Spirit. He was able to see something in me that I could not see. By the way, that went on to be about a 35-year career in Christian music, arranging and publishing and orchestrating and leading situations I never deserved to stand in front of. Never, never, never. I didn't know that. I didn't have a clue. And that's, here's why I can say to you today, that on that day in 1978, Pastor Des called out the musician in me. Now, I showed up being able to play piano and an organ. I'd led a choir, and I, you know, I, I, I did some of those things. But I didn't see what he saw. And he called out the musician in me. 33 years later, right about this time, October of 2010, he called me for a, to stay after a staff meeting. And we began conversations where he was saying, asked me to pray about if I would consider <clears throat> being in the office of the senior pastor. Can I tell you, the shock was beyond what I could ever imagine. It had never entered my mind. Most of you know that story. I just, every, everything within me resisted. Everything resisted. I looked for every possible reason to run out the door and run another direction. I actually had another plan, which I really thought was a great plan. It was really a nice plan. Becky and I had talked about it, and we were settled on what probably we would do when Des retired. We knew what that was going to be. And so uh, I was shocked, and I was surprised, and I resisted, and finally I, I just kept throwing up my resistance, resistance to Pastor Des, and he said, Dan, I've known for years that you would replace me as a senior pastor at Bethesda Church. 
And again, I hope I didn't say this out loud, but I'll tell you what my thought was. You know, you could have told me that somewhere along the way. That would have been really nice. I could have been better prepared for this. Why are you telling me that now? But as I look back on it, folks, and the story is very emotional to me, and I'm not going to give the rest of it. What happened? That 33, 1978, he called out the musician in me. But in 2011, or 2010, October of 2010, Pastor Des called out the pastor in me that I didn't see. That's what communion of the Holy Spirit will do. It will give you eyes that can see beyond what others can see, even about themselves. That is why, church, we need a fresh Pentecost, not to have ammunition for discussions on initial evidence. No, 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 no. But to have the touch of God upon our lives, to be in communion with the Holy Spirit, to be able to see what others cannot or will not or are not able to see. Speaking of seeing supernaturally, there's an interesting warning given to us from Zechariah. It is specifically to pastors or to shepherds. You can find it in and around the 11th chapter. Zechariah says, woe unto the shepherd who does not see, who does not cover, who does not fight for those, who does not care for those that are cut off. Woe unto the shepherd who does not heal those who are broken, who does not feed those who are starving before him. Woe unto the shepherd with a sword in his hand, but will not fight for the sheep. Why? Because he turns his back on the day of battle because his eye has dried up. The eye has lost its spiritual sight. He may be concerned about many aspects of ministry. He may be concerned about all kinds of things, but he's not concerned about the sheep. Let me say it this way. Show me a man who is preoccupied with his position and preoccupied with his ministry, and I'll show you a man who is not in communion with the Holy Spirit. You will remember that in Mark chapter 8, Jesus touched a blind man. He was completely blind, and Jesus touches him, and he says, what do you see? And he indicated, oh, it's a miracle. You've touched me. It's a miracle. I was completely blind just like you and me, completely blind to the things of God, to the principles of God, and to the heart of God before we came to Jesus. I wasn't seeing anything before, but now I see men, and they look like trees walking. And you know what the Bible tells us? It says that Jesus touched his eyes a second time. Say that with me. Second time. Say it again. And so, what do you see now, Jesus said? I see people as they really are. And I am proposing to you this morning, Bethesda, that every one of us need a second time, and another second time, and another second time, and another second time, and another touch. But without the communion of the Holy Spirit, we will just see people as trees walking. We will not see their need. We will not see how God wants us to serve them. We will misjudge them. We will not understand their behavior. They will seem odd to us. We just see them as trees walking. We won't even see our own family or our own marriage or, or our spouse, our children, our grandchildren as God sees them. We won't see our nation as God sees it. We won't even see our own ministry as God sees it. Only when God gives you a second touch and you no longer see 
men as trees walking. You see them for what they actually are. It would behoove every one of us today to cry out to God, oh God, give me the second touch again. I need the second touch again. If my eyes have dried up, then come by your spirit and cause me to see once again what only the spirit of God can show me. God, let us see supernaturally. Can the church say amen? In Jeremiah chapter 1, we once again see the second touch. God touched Jeremiah and called him to go, and then God said to him, what do you see? Jeremiah said, I see a branch from an almond tree. The interesting part of that is that the word used for almond actually means the announcer of life. When everything was frozen and cold and sterile and lifeless, this, the almond branch would spring up announcing life. What was really being announced was the foretelling of Jesus Christ, the life in Jesus Christ. God says, you're right, Jeremiah, and I'm watching over my word to perform it, God said. And then God touched him a second time, say second time, and asked him, what, does he, what do you see now? And you know what Jeremiah said? Odd. He said, I see boiling pots spilling from the north. And that was the reality of what was happening in the nation at that time. It's the reality of what will increasingly happen to us in the last days. But we will be called to be the announcers of life in the midst of death. The announcers of life in the midst of boiling pots of water spilling over. We are and we will continue to see boiling pots in our day figuratively But I want you to remember this, the boiling pots of burning water, no matter how ferocious they become, spilling from the nations, will never, never stop the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But without the communion of the Holy Spirit, we will not have the eyes to see it. We've got to be honest. The boiling pots of water, burning water, are certainly real, but we are not called to go into a bunker until Jesus comes and hide and pull our cloaks about us. We are called to announce life, the life of Jesus in Jesus' mighty name. We are called to see supernaturally that we might serve God's kingdom supernaturally. We are not only to see supernaturally, we are to speak supernaturally. Matthew 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he asked him, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Isn't Peter just amazing? He had the capacity in the same day to be inspired by the Holy Spirit and then to be rebuked because he had also been inspired by some other spirit. How many of you feel like you understand Peter completely? I Yeah. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys, say keys, of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. He asked them, who do you say that I am? 
Some say you're John the Baptist, which John the Baptist represented sanctification and purity and holiness. And, and, and so, so Jesus, you're, you're John the Baptist. Well, he is that, but much more. Some say that you're Elijah, which means all about the power. You're, Elijah was power. Well, Jesus is that, but so much more. Some say you're Jeremiah. It's all about the prophetic, the prophetic, the prophetic, and, and about the signs and, 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 and the date that you're returning and what's going to Well, Jesus is that, and he's so much more. Who do men say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, Simon, you didn't learn that from any man, but rather that was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And as long as you walk in the communion of the Holy Spirit, Peter, then upon the rock of revelation that I give you, I will build my church in Fort Worth, in Texas, in the United States of America, in the world, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you keys. Say keys. How long has it been since you've asked God to give you a key? How long? Someone is fasting and praying somewhere, and God gives them a key. Here. Some keys are universal. They are, they're for the whole world. And then some are fasting and praying. God gives them a key for their city, for their nation, for their school. Just like what happened with the Africans yesterday. They were praying, God, give us a key. And sometimes those keys appear to come to us in the form of either a book, a, a conference, a, a methodology. Uh, for example, a pastor goes to a conference or he reads a book or he discovers a methodology, five steps to church growth. I've seen them all. Seven steps to motivating the people in your church and, and dealing with volunteers and on and on. And he walks away from that conference and he has a key. The only problem is when you go back home, you discover that key wasn't for your city, it was for theirs. And the key won't work. That's when you learn that you need to be a voice and not an echo. You need to know what God is saying to you by the communion of the Holy Spirit. Not just echo what others are saying. We are to speak supernaturally. In the communion of the Holy Spirit, it will sometimes be God calling you to do what no one else is seeing and no one else is doing. It will go against the fads. It will go against what seems to be the popular or the trend. God may be handing you a key to do something unique and different. Now, should you be attentive to godly counsel? Yes. Should you be attentive to wisdom? Of course you should. But you must listen to God. You must hear the Lord. He's wanting to commune with you. How will it happen? It will happen on your knees. It will happen calling to God, and he will give you keys. Dan, keys for what? Keys for your family. It's what you've been needing. You needed the key that the Holy Spirit would give you. Keys for your place of work to have impact for the kingdom of God. You didn't have the key. It's been locked to you. You've been locked out. You needed the key. But here's the way the key thing works. It will be a key for one blessing at a time. It will probably be a key for one, maybe for one year at a time. Sometimes it's a key for one day at a time. And the key for yesterday may very well not be the key that God wants to give you today in this generation, in this season, in this time. 
How many of you will join me in saying, oh God, I want to see supernaturally. I want to speak supernaturally for the glory of the name of Jesus. If that's you, would you stand with us, please? And if you do, I just want you to put, get your hands free, put your stuff down, lift your hands before the Lord, and just begin to say, Lord, I need you to refresh me in the Holy Spirit. Come on, let me hear you say it out loud. I need you to refresh me in the Holy Spirit. Lord, renew my communion with you. I want to once again, I need a fresh Pentecost, oh God. I want to know that, that I'm in commun- I have the communion of the Holy Spirit daily functioning in my life. Take not your spirit from me. Oh, Lord, we need you today more than we've ever needed you before. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your praise to the name of the Lord, and let's exalt him in this house this morning.